You're listening to teaching from Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. It was in Williamson dorm, and we had these dorm devotions, and they invited this guy named Randy Garris to come and speak, and I didn't know anything about Randy, but but that night, as he spoke, you just kind of leaned in a little bit, and you began to think, man, this guy, he is really gifted, And, and I began to take nuggets. And I began to watch him and his beautiful wife, Julie, and his three kids from far away. I I didn't know Randy that well, but I just began to watch. And over the years, he's become one of my pastors that has had an impact on my life. I listened to many of his sermons. And, And, man, I just soaked it up like a sponge. You know, the thing that I really appreciate about Randy is he just pours into people constantly. I was asking him, I said, hey, what do you do at Ozark Christian College? And he said, basically, from 8 o'clock to 5 or 6 o'clock, I just visit with kids, and I just listen, and I just encourage, and I just pray with them. Well, that's what he's done for me in my life over the years from far away. Another thing that I appreciate about Randy is... He's authentic. The person that you get here up on stage is the same person that will be talking with you in the lobby afterwards. And and I just appreciate his heart for for people, his heart for ministry, and his love for Christ. So with great privilege, I get to introduce you to my friend, Randy Garris. And I'm assuming that you picked up somewhere along the line, Ronnie is extremely kind. He would speak well of a scoundrel, I think. So, so I appreciate it. In fact, can I have that uh, stool, if you don't mind, to uh, set this Bible on? We have so much to cover today. I have a privilege to talk to you about marriage and home. Obviously, um, I'm going to spend probably the noon session, and I, and, and I hope you'll come. I, I really do. Then the evening session, um, how do you have a home you want to come home to? It ought to be joy and laughter and delight. It ought to be fun. I, um, I will take this morning in, 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 in kind of this 20 minutes, 22 minutes, whatever we have this morning here. By the way, I look at my watch and it often means nothing, so just FYI to you. <laughs> Those of you that never heard me speak before, I'm not all that good, but I always try to go long to make up for it. Um, so... But I, let, me, let me talk to you this morning in the sermon, but I'm going to get into the, to the how. Uh, how do you do it? Um, let, let me throw this in. I, I didn't choose this um, marriage stuff to come to me. I preached at a church for 33 years on, on the uh, uh, east side of Joplin. It was a congregation with a little bit of a size, but it was especially a congregation that had a lot of young adults, a lot of young adults. And I ended up with, through the years, and, I, and, and again, I have no idea how, but it turned out about 4,000 couples in problem marriage counseling. You just take about 40 years, and you take a a little over 100 couples every year, two every week. There's nothing, there's nothing worse than a bad marriage. 
It is horrible. A bad marriage is, 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 is like cutting your own heart out a little bit every day. And there's nothing quite as good as a great marriage. It's one of God's sweetest gifts to us. And so I, I got to see both. And you don't have to be smart. If you see a, that many marriages, you realize, wait a second, it's not complex. It's not some kind of crazy deal about, hey, certain personalities can get along and certain personalities can't. Ah, that's garbage. That's not true. You want to know how good marriages work? They, 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 they're basically a choice. And about anybody, I mean, both people have to choose it, but, but, but about anybody can choose to have a good marriage. And so we're going to go through the building blocks uh, on that. Some of you in this room would be probably tempted to say, well, I'm, 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 I'm single or I'm divorced or widowed or whatever. It's not for me. Everybody lives at an intersection that you actually have a voice into somebody else's life. You have a voice into the single who's not yet married. You, you make sure that voice is clear and good. You have a voice into somebody who is married and you, they work with you. And, and make sure you have some clarity. And so I want to broaden this out where it's not just marriages who would come to it. it basically, any of us who love our neighbors are going to have to figure out at some point in time. What do I say? I don't know how far we're going to get. I'm going to, I'm going to look at my watch and I will quit at some point in time. I, I do promise. You may have to order pizza in here, but, 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 but let's just go for a ways. You go down any block in America and you ask, do you have the kind of marriage that you want your children to have? That's the key question. Do you have the kind of marriage you want your children to have? Let me take any block in America and, and make five homes out of that, that block. Two of the homes will say no because either I'm not going to get married, I just live with a person because we're not going to make a marriage commitment because that seems terrible, we've never seen it work well, so we're just going to live together. And, 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 and that first two also will say uh, perhaps, uh, no, we were already divorced. And no, I don't have the kind, we don't have the kind of marriage you want your children to have. So two out of five are no. The next two out of five, do you have the kind of marriage you want your children to have? They will say to you, well, we're still married, and we'll stay married in a lifetime, but no. <laughs> I like the guy, and he likes me, and we're, we love each other, and it's been okay, but no. I would like my children to have something that has more intimacy, more connected, more something. So no, we'll stay married the rest of our lives, but it's not what it could be. you got to go to the fifth one, one out of five to say, absolutely, I would love for my children to have this kind of marriage. Now, they'll have a caveat of something along that line, but yes, I would love for that to have. So using my quick math, that's 20%. You told me that I could safely get to the airport tonight. I have a 20% chance of getting there. I'm probably not going to go, okay? 20% chance is pretty low. So why do we still keep going into marriages and those sort of things? A couple of quick things just to throw in. I still believe we have a longing, and we know by what God has planted in us, even I think even lost people who don't know the Lord still have planted that there is a shadow of something that I feel that I know it's designed for us. I just don't know what it is. We get to meet the designer. We get to meet the one whose hands and fingerprints are on it. So why don't we? Why don't we? I know many of you in this room are almost even afraid to, to look around. I, I know that. I, I'm, not, I'm not a rookie. Here's how it kind of goes. Everybody is born with an instinctive desire to love and be loved. 
God planted that within us. The same way a whale knows how to somehow instinctively go across an unmarked ocean and migrate, uh, somehow that instinct. I grew up on a cow-calf operation, my, my ranch. My dad's 90, and my dad's on a horse about every day. So dad's still ranching, that sort of thing. But I, it still shocks me to watch a calf born, and that calf hits the ground, and that calf has four little shaky sticks called legs. And somehow that calf that's never had a taste of milk in its life and a calf that, that has never stood on its feet knows to stand and somehow begins to take that little forehead and begin to bump against the side of a cow trying to find an udder because God already hardwired in there, this is what you do in life. That instinct, everybody in this room was, was born with the instinctive desire to love and be loved. That's part of me made in the image of God. So why do we struggle? If it's instinctive, why, why doesn't it work? Well, the answer is pretty simple. Because while the desire to love is instinctive, the ability to love is not instinctive. The ability to love, biblically, I could even show you this as we, if we had time, you don't really reach into your heart with the desire to love. You actually come out of your heart with the desire to love, but you have to reach into your backbone and your character with the ability to love. Love requires a certain amount of wholeness in your own life to have your own feet under you, to be secure enough that in any circumstance, in every place, I can reach into the character of my life and come out with the wholeness that's required. And the reason marriages struggle is because individuals get married and they stand here and they hold each other's hand here or the justice of peace or somewhere, and they make promises they mean with all of their heart, but they walk down the aisle and they go to a real-life house and they reach into their backbone to pull out the things that love requires. Love requires that you be patient when you want to be patient. It requires you to be kind when you didn't want to be kind. It requires you to be courageous and speak the truth when you really would rather duck the issue. It requires that you be second and not first. It requires a lot of things to love. And you come out empty-handed. On a personal note, just here for you, some of you struggled so much from the home you came from. Can I tell you, and I know for a fact, because I've done this for so long, I don't know your home, but I know homes. Your dad wanted to love you. Your dad deeply wanted to love you. You look at yourself and say, well, what was so wrong with me as a six-year-old kid that my dad didn't want to love me? What, what, what was so broken about me and my, my dad didn't want to be involved in my life? Da, 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 da. And you feel, I guarantee you, I know this story well enough. Your dad wanted to love you. Your dad many times in the mornings would slap the steering wheel of an F-150 as he went to work, and he was just so stinking mad. Your dad cried on his own pillow at himself. Why can't? I love, why can't I do this? Your dad wanted to love you, but when your dad reached into his backbone, it wasn't that you were so unlovable. He didn't have the skills. Some of you in this room, you're still sorting through, why did my mom never really love me? Why did my dad never really love me? I'll almost guarantee you they tried. And the reason he hit the steering wheel on the F-150 was he was so frustrated at himself. Why do I keep doing this? But you can only be frustrated so long 
at somebody else before Satan sort of flips it and so it becomes accusatory. If you just, if your mama just talked to me better, if you just walked across the floor better, if you just were this, if you just were that, if you'd have just done that, if you'd have talked more, if you'd have talked less, if you'd have just, if you'd have just, and so it became accusatory and you heard the accusatory stuff, but the truth was that wasn't the truth. Truth was, your dad was unrepaired. I've done about 4,000 marriage counseling. You say, Randy, you just said that. Oh, no, I need to tell you something else. I've done very little marriage counseling. Well, what do you mean? Because most people don't have marriage problems. What they actually have are personal problems or return of marriage. I've met with about 4,000 couples where for the most part it's one or both individuals who never grew up. My wife makes this statement, and she's entirely right. And by the way, I'm married over my head. Anybody that knows us think I must have got her liquored up to marry me. <laughs> my goodness, I married her. But Julie made this statement, marriage is for grown-ups. There's a reason we don't have nine-year-old kids get married. Because nine-year-old kids, no matter who they are, great kids. But when they reach into their backbone, they don't have the wholeness that's required. It's also true of 18-year-old kids and 27-year-old kids and 39-year-old kids, and I've seen an awful lot of 72-year-old kids that got married, and they reach in. God designed an intentional... I'm, I'm, I'm parking here for a second, because I know some of you are married, and, and, and we don't get to go back and roll the clock back, so you're going you're to have to grow up in your marriage. But God designed an intentional season of singleness for everybody, because there's a journey you and the Lord need to take as a single. When you came into life, you lacked what you really needed to have wholeness. No, you, you didn't have it. You didn't have your own joy. You didn't have your own contentment. You didn't have your own morality. If I can use the visual, if this is what we're to be, we came in life horizontal. We borrowed it. We borrowed our happiness. We borrowed our contentment. We borrowed our morality. And we started off like you're supposed to. We borrow from parents. That's why some of you moms... You walked a baby up and down a hallway a gazillion miles and patted them because they didn't have their own contentment and they had to borrow yours. It's the reason you sang to your children in the dark because they had fear and no joy and you had to hold their hand and, and, and they borrowed yours. Perfectly fine. But as they begin to grow up, we begin to go through another stage. We begin to borrow from adolescent friends. Our joy, our contentment, our happiness. We don't have our own. So we borrow. It's the reason first grade girls go as a group of amoebas to the bathroom, six of them, you know. <laughs> That's the reason birthday parties are such a big deal for second and third graders. Man, we borrow our happiness. It's the reason little boys run around like they run around. I'll see you at the monkey bars. It's not just activity, it's connection. And my joy and my some of you have the sweetest little, you know, second grade nephew, fourth grade nephew. Man, he's a great kid, you'll say. This is, this is the best kid. Well, he is, until his cousins from Dallas come. <laughs> and the next thing you know, that little hellion's shooting out streetlights with a BB gun. And you're going, you hypocrite, you! No, he's not. He's a fourth grade boy who doesn't have his own wholeness, and so whatever set of boys he's with, he tends to borrow their morality. 
God designed us that we borrow from our parents and then we borrow from our friends, which is, by the way, one of the reasons that good, wise friends are so important. And what should happen, and what should happen is you meet your living God and you begin to take a journey and you come back and find out, God, you're my only healer. God, you're my only healer. God, there's things in my life. I'm, I'm, I'm going to just narrow them to three. Contentment. Learning to be content in my own skin. Being okay being me. Even seeing the blessing and how you bless me by being made in your image as me. Joy. Life's hard. But joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And joy, my, my, I don't have to have activities that, that give me joy. I can do joyful activities, but, but I actually have joy. You don't, I, don't, I don't have to wind up every day. I don't have to run to things. I don't have to have things on the outside that are importing joy to me. I actually have contentment. I have joy, and I have morality because I know what your character is, God, and I'm your shadow of the living God. That's who we are, honestly, by the way. You know who you are? You're the shadow of God. And when you're most yourself is you're most like him because the shadow looks like the source. And what should happen is you ought to get those things and then two people, two people who have come to at least some degree of wholeness or certainly are on the road to wholeness, those two people can meet each other and they have firm enough feet and a place on the ground that they can choose to love one another and it's a delight. And yes, they're stumblers. James chapter 3, verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. Yes, my wife married a stumbler and I married a stumbler, but lo and behold, we're two people who know where the source of wholeness is and we're able to love each other and it is a grand adventure. Julie and I have been married almost 44 years and I'm going to tell you whatever the sweetness of the first two weeks of marriage, I'm going to tell you it has had just sweeter and better as the years went by. Now, in all fairness, I probably married a woman who was more like this. Well, I was still probably a little wobbly. But she was patient and gentle. And she could pray for me. And she could actually, without anything arrogant, she gently taught me. And I didn't know I was even being taught. That concept, but that's not what happens in our culture. Man, you have fast clocks in Texas. <laughs> that's not what happens in our culture. We're a Ken and Barbie world. And so what happens in our culture, and it's horrible, it's horrible. You borrow from parents your happiness, your joy, your contentment, your morality. Then you borrow from adolescent friends. And then somewhere, and it's changed. It's been shoved down. It's been shoved down. But somewhere you need a boyfriend or girlfriend. Some of you moms need to repent of that stupid sixth grade dance you threw. You put the boys and girls together because they all want boyfriends and girlfriends and you wanted to help. You didn't help. We're a Ken and Barbie world where... Somewhere in junior high, somewhere in early high school, if I could just get a girl who loved me, if I could just get a guy who loved me, if I could just have somebody who would care for me, I'd be fine. And we, we end up being people who, for me to be okay, I need to be in a relationship. Well, here's just a reality. If you have to be in a relationship to be okay, you'll never be in an okay relationship. 
And so what happens is two people who start out and they say all the right things and we deeply love each other. No, actually you don't. You have all the same emotions that go with it, but here's what you have. You have a whole different foundation. You're actually two users. And you go home and you don't have enough wholeness to live out the claims that love requires and you get frustrated because he's so this and she's so that. And we all stumble in many ways and I can't stand the way you stumble. And the way you stumble just drives me crazy because you don't stumble like I stumble. And even if you did stumble like I stumble, at least my stumble is somebody else's fault. This is your fault. And we just begin to bicker back and forth and we can't figure out and I'm not quite happy because everybody knows you're supposed to be happy in marriage and I'm not quite happy and you're not making me happy and you don't quite get it and our personalities have changed. And, and by the way, I love, I mean, come today at noon, there's, there's so much more. I mean, come, come this, this evening. I'd like to talk to you about the process of this. I, we, we won't just curse the darkness, I promise. Proverbs 25, 28. Book of Proverbs says, run from a foolish man, run from a foolish woman. Why? By the way, Proverbs says run from a, Proverbs 25, 28. I'll actually quote that here in a second. Run from a foolish man, run from a foolish woman. Why? Because they're worthless, bad people? Oh, no, 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 no. Many fools are wicked. And they can be fools that are wicked. But many fools, many foolish people are not wicked. They're just good people. They're just wonderful people, charismatic and funny and likable and good intentions, but they've never grown up. My children, I've got, my grandchildren, I've got nine grandchildren. Love my grandchildren. This is not an insult. They're exactly where they're supposed to be. My nine grandchildren are all fools. Now, again, I, again I'm not trying to be as insulting as it sounds. They're Eighth graders and seventh graders and sixth graders and fifth graders and those sort of things. They're exactly what they ought to be for children. Here's the passage I gave you. Proverbs 25, 28. Like a city without walls is a man without... And that probably says self-discipline. I don't know which it says, but it's actually tied to the to Hebrew word that would be typically tied very close to wisdom. Without discipline. Without wisdom. Like a city without walls is a man or a woman without wisdom or wholeness. All of these concepts, discipline, wisdom, wholeness. You go, well, that's terribly moving. No, it's not yet, but maybe it will be. I want you to picture two cities, a city with walls and a city without. In the city with walls... Man, they play t-ball in the backyard, and they tuck their kids in at night, and they kiss them on the forehead, and they dance with the little daughters, and they put sons on their shoulders. In the city with walls, you go by and check on mom, and you kiss mom on the forehead as she goes to bed that night. In the city with walls, you take the, the fall wheat, and you put it aside in the storage bin because we're going to plant it next spring. In the city with walls... You have birthday parties and anniversaries, and it's protected. In the city without walls, they play t-ball, and they kiss their kids on the forehead. They tuck them in bed. They, they go say goodnight to mom at the house next door. They take the winter wheat and put her aside. But in the city without walls, here's the problem. It's not there months later because it was pillaged. Armies came through and stole it. Robbers came and took it. Wild animals came in and devoured. 
In both cities, they want the same thing. In both cities, they dream about the same thing, but in one city, it can be real, and in the other city, it's always out of reach. It's just the most dangerous man or woman on the face of the earth is not the scoundrel. Everybody kind of figures the scoundrel out pretty quickly, kind of like a snake, stay away. No, the most dangerous person on the face of the earth is the well-intentioned, likable, I want the right thing, I talk about the right things, come on, and we, we, we have dreams, but you've never grown up. And so your wife has a man who's still selfish, but he talks about all the things that he wants like it was a city with walls, but he doesn't have the wisdom to have walls. You're not protecting your family. It's the wife who's so insecure that's the husband's always fault that I'm not feeling at peace because you didn't walk in right, you didn't say the right things, you don't show up when I need you, you didn't leave quick enough, you didn't do that. And the whole issue all along is the walls of her own heart were never repaired by the living God. And she has children who walk on eggs. Or they get this really inconsistent mom. It's the dad who's so emotionally distant. And your family desperately wants to love you, but it's like there's a glass wall between you and them, and you can't quite figure it out because you've never put the walls in your own life of the wholeness that's required to love. One of the most Godly things some of you in this room could do is after the awkward half-car ride home is to turn to a spouse and say, Hon, I owe you an apology. I keep putting pressure on you, but the truth is there's a lack of wholeness in my own life. And I want you to help me and I want you to help me find some others. But I need to grow up. I need to come to wholeness. This isn't just a kid's game. I happen to know senior citizens. I'm mildly acquainted with some of them. Some of the men in this room, you've gotten sloppy. You've been married 40, 50 years. You have forgotten. You have forgotten the sacred call to love your wife. Oh, we have our routines down so much, we know exactly. And the only place she really gets affections out of that dog. <laughs> because you have such a routine and such pride, I'd hate to change anything now, because if I changed anything now, it would be so stinking obvious at some point in time. I'm going to quit here in about a minute and a half. The big rocks are pretty simple. Let me tell you where I'm going to go today. Marriages require wholeness, and only Christ gives wholeness. Your wife cannot do for you what the living God alone can do. She can coach you. She can root for you. She can walk with you. She can do a lot of things, but she cannot be your God. That's the first big rock. Here's a second big rock we're going to hit Another somewhere today. The second big rock is, do you even know what marriage is for? Well, of course I know what it's for. Make me happy. Have you read Ephesians 5? Oh, happiness is a byproduct, but you don't understand. You don't, no, no. Do you know what it's for? Third big rock we're going to hit before the day is over. So how do you stay in love with somebody for a lifetime? 
My wife's been married to at least four different guys. All of them me. So what if my personality changed? And it actually, it has. She could clearly go, I don't want that guy. I, I, I married that guy. How do I get this guy? And God has this wonderful secret. Do you, not, you do want to know how to stay in love for a lifetime and grow deeper in love? And it has nothing to do with personality and common interest. This is how you stay in love and to say go deeper in love. Next big rock we're going to hit before the day is over. So if you're going to love a woman, how do you do that? Because she's not wired like you're wired. And do you understand the mechanism by which you'll love her? And if you're going to love a guy, gals don't reach into your natural inclinations. They're not right. If you're going to love a guy, there's a different way. We're going to move to about two more things. I'm about off the stage already. I'll quit. I'll come back over here. So as I wrap up a sermon this morning, what would I say? Here's where I would use my kind of conclusion. Non-Christians can borrow marriage. They're certainly welcome to borrow it. It's not created for them. They're very welcome to borrow it. And there are many, many good things in it. Same way non-Christians can borrow gravity but not necessarily give you know, credit to the, the one who created it. But a Christian has a uniqueness. All good marriages still come out of worship. A worship where I know what marriage is for and a worship where I am appealing to God, would you repair me and make me capable of doing the things that you've called me to in this family? It's a sacred place you stand in a home, and it's worship. The best marriages don't have much to do with great sparkling personalities. It has a great deal to do with worshipers who depend upon the living God and from that comes wholeness and from that comes a blessing that your children and your grandchildren will love your home and your neighbors will be the path to your house wanting to know how you did it. There's joy and delight in a family when I figure out what the Lord of the Rings has to say about the rings. Heavenly Father, would you bless and bring about holiness and righteousness in places that are not? Father, one of your great miracles in all the world, clearly dividing the sea, Red Sea was one of those miracles, manna from heaven, one of those miracles. But Father, maybe one of the greatest miracles is to take an unholy man and an unholy woman in an unholy world and you make them holy and put them back and they live holy. Father, I pray for that miracle. Lord, would you bring about a great joy and delight and laughter in families? And would you be the Lord of the Rings in these homes? In Christ's name.